Welcome to the PCS to Corporate America podcast from Cameron Brooks. Our mission here at Cameron Brooks is to help educate junior military officers about their transition options and to inspire veterans to transform their lives and their careers. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Super excited to bring this edition to you. Um, we've done one of these in the past, but um, you know, it was probably, I don't know, 40 or 50 episodes. Again, coincidentally, it was actually another Marine Corps officer. So I'm excited to have the, this conversation. I'm bringing one of our most recent alumni uh, to the podcast. And the reason I wanted to do this twofold, one, I wanted you guys to meet him and, and hear about his experience, not only in the Camerbrook's development preparation program, but the conference and the follow-up interview process. So that's going to be a major part of our conversation but this officer was also um, in the DOD Skillbridge program and specifically a part of the Cameron Brooks Skillbridge. So I definitely wanted to bring some of his experience in the, in the, um, in the conversation to you all just to hear some of his experience. So I'm really excited to introduce Quentin Cookus to you. Quentin is a uh, Marine Corps officer and I'm gonna let him introduce himself, but I just wanna say before we get started, I've enjoyed working with Quentin. He's been an absolute kind of joy to work with, if you will, because you've worked so hard in the program, you had the right attitude, you came and knocked the conference out of the park. So just super glad to have you here on the podcast. So. Welcome, Quentin. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Pete. I'm glad to be here. Okay, so let's start here. Why don't you just start, like, what's your background? Like, give, give everyone the baseline of, you know, where'd you go to school? What'd you study? What'd you do in the Marine Corps? Maybe give us a minute or two of that. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, I'm a proud Virginia Tech alumni. I was a, a cadet over there in the Corps of Cadets. And that led me to my commissioning through the ROTC program into the Marine Corps. Uh, once I was in the Marine Corps, I spent about a year in Quantico doing the basic school and then waiting for my, my MOS school, uh, where I was selected to be a logistics officer, which was my top choice. Um, and then from there, you know, I, things happened very quickly. I became the 6th Marine Regiment motor transport officer for a couple of years, leading a team that varied from 55 to 65 Marines. Uh, and then because of my performance there, I was fortunate enough to be able to become the assistant logistics officer down at uh, 3rd Battalion, 6th Marines. And uh, as luck would have it, um, the the official, you know, senior logistics officer position at the battalion opened up and, you know, they named me and I was frocked early with, you know, early promotion to captain. And mm -hmm. I got to end my career there and, and really the best logistics job that I think there is in the Marine Corps. So let's, um, you and I have been walking down this road for a couple of years now. First off, how did you hear about Cameron Brooks? All right. So actually, okay. so we made a decision to form a partnership two years ago. So two years ago, even though you were doing great things in the Marine Corps and you were, I read all your fit reps. So I, I know how your performance was right up into the, to the, to the last day in the Marine Corps relative to your fit reps. But um, first, so let's start here. How did you hear about us? How did you hear about Cameron Brooks? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I was talking to some other JMOs who were a few years senior to me, and they had decided to stay in. But I knew that, uh, you know, I was on the fence at that point. Uh, the war was kind of drawn down in the Middle East. I knew I had to prepare for both ways. And someone recommended this, this podcast called the Corporate Captains Podcast. And, you know, of course, you were mentioned on there. And, you know, after that, I was like, what's this Cameron Brooks thing? And that's where my research really began. Right. And so what ultimately, you know, 
you know, it, it, when we partner with officers, we ask you to really engage us for the time that we walk along, along this road together. What was the, what do you think the thing was that probably prompted you to say, yeah, I know where I'm a couple years out here, but let's do this. Let's form a partnership. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I think military officers in particular, we're, we're really good at preparing, you know, for whatever our mission is. And there's so many unknowns in the military. And the biggest one is, you know, how long are you going to wear that uniform? It could be 30, 40 years. It could be 20 years or it could be four years. And I knew, that, you know, just from my training through college, that no matter what, I had to be prepared for whatever outcome I was going to go through. And the more I researched, the more I realized that I really wanted to go into corporate America. You know, one of the things you said that I find particularly interesting, though, Quentin, is military officers like to be prepared. I, I believe that to be 100 percent true. That's my that's my experience as a JMO myself, it's experience working with other JMOs for, for the time that I have. The interesting thing is, as busy as we are, it's hard to multitask sometimes. And so I'd love to tell you that every officer that we partner with comes to us two years out with all the time in the world to read books expand knowledge, apply it at work, you know, kind of move in that direction. But sometimes I get phone calls from officers that are like, hey, I start terminal leave in a month. Um, and so maybe, maybe you can share with me a little bit about, even though it was two years out, what was the advantage or what were some of the advantages you appreciated about having a full-time job, like married, family life, full-time job in the Marine Corps and finding time, which you did, Plenty, you made this a priority, found time to engage in the things that you needed to engage in to ensure success when you transition. Just tell us a little bit about the advantage that you found. Absolutely. And really, that is the advantage of starting early. It's not a daunting task list if you have a bunch of time ahead of you. With two years ahead of me, I made it through. I listened to every podcast three to four times each. You know, I read every single book. I even reread some of the books on the required reading list. I was able to, I redid the tabs. I remember when I was probably about eight months or so from, from starting to the conference, I kind of scrapped all my answers because now I had all this extra experience and I went right back from the beginning and went right back through tabs one through five and some of the stuff I say, but really I, I, I realized I had grown as a person and as a Marine, as a leader. Um, and because I had started so early, I already had that foundation. I didn't feel like I was stressing as the conference got closer. Yeah. Well, a contrarian would say, well, if you went back through the answers eight months and changed a bunch of things, why don't you just wait until you're eight months out and start then? It, you know, Pete, if I was going to knock my house down, uh, I'd save a lot of money if the foundation was still good to be rebuilt upon. So mm -hmm. I think just getting that foundation down was a huge benefit. Mm -hmm. The other thing we talk a lot about is like, you know, if you are two years out and you're reading books like good to great or the five dysfunctions of a team or the goal or whatever, whatever books you're reading, take those to work with you. Take the, some, some of the foundational principles, not every single principle of every single book, but take some of these foundational principles and bring it, bring it to the Marine Corps, make, make the Marine Corps better as you're making yourself better. It's funny you say that because, you know, the goal in particular in logistics, you know, when I learned about bottlenecks, you know, and I already had my Lean Six Sigma certification at that point, but I started learning about bottlenecks and I found quite a few in my maintenance cycles back when I was in motor transport. And yeah, I did apply that every day. And, and you probably saw some of that on my fit reps uh, that, you know, Cameron Brooks really helped my military career just yeah. as much as they're helping to get ready for civilian. Yeah. Well, I, I do want to say if you're listening to this podcast and you're a month from getting out of the, uh, out of the military, um, I still want you to call me. I still want you to call me because we, I, I can at least 
who knows? Who knows what can happen? I can help you think about if a partnership is right for you or ideas or things to, I mean, if you're two years from getting out, I want you to call me too. I do think it's that it is advantageous to, to walk down the, this long road um, and, and make time for this. And you're, you're really just a perfect example of someone who didn't wait, who made this a priority. And then, and then what's the, what's the ultimate end result, right? The ultimate end result is you came to the conference, you got every company to say yes to you because you were so darn prepared. And it's not the only reason, but certainly a reason. Um, and then you got to choose amongst many options. And so I don't want to get ahead of myself though. Let's back up. Let's back up because I want to talk about SkillBridge. I want to talk about the, the DOD SkillBridge program and it's called different things for different services in the army. It's still the DOD skill bridge, but they call it this career skills program, CSP. So there's other, other ways to, to do this. Some people just call it an internship, but why did you do a skill bridge? Okay. So quite frankly, you know, up until about a year and a half ago, like as long as we've been doing this, no one's ever done a skill bridge because the program is brand new by 18 or so months. And so it's not required and certainly, Quentin, you didn't need to do the skill bridge. You were going to be that prepared anyway, considering you've been in the program for two years. So why did you do the skill bridge? Yeah, absolutely. And I, yeah, and just like you said, you know, I have friends in the program who didn't do it and they were just as successful. But I definitely had an advantage because if you're a good Marine Corps officer or a good military officer, your priority is your people and your military mission. And I couldn't shed that as much as I was preparing for my own transition. The Marine Corps was getting my time before I got my time, you know, before my wife got my time. And what the skill bridge allowed me to do was to, to put myself first for the first time. And really, since I was in high school, I was able to put my career and my family ahead of the Marine Corps. And it sounds selfish, but this was a scenario where I really felt like I needed to do that to make sure I was successful. And, and don't get me wrong. You know, I had a great command. But they didn't just say, hey, why don't you take time off? I, you know, you have to prepare. I had all my programs inspected by higher headquarters and I had to prove to them that, hey, we're in good enough shape here that you can survive without me. My team is trained to take over in my place. Mm -hmm. And if you do all those right things, the skill bridge is definitely a huge advantage. Now, when I when I read the skill bridge, um, you know, their, their documentation, by the way, for, the, for those who don't already know this, and most of you, or some of you probably do, Cameron Brooks is a an approved SkillBridge provider. So the DOD SkillBridge program has deemed us an approved provider. We have a memorandum, a signed memorandum of understanding and all that. And the reason being because there's a little bit of a misunderstanding. And even when you read the documentation, you can see that SkillBridge was really probably set up or the, the main idea was that an officer would go and work for a company in an internship for free. But when you read the documentation, their documentation says gain valuable civilian work experience through industry training, apprenticeships, or internships. But it also just really talks about allowing them to participate in industry training programs. And when you think about the Cameron Brooks Development Preparation Program, that is exactly what the DPP is. But Quentin, how, did you fly to Fredericksburg, Texas? Did you do a bunch of data analysis for me? Like, we don't even call it an internship because, because you're not doing work for me, you're doing work for you. So, so tell, tell us a little bit about you in the, in the camera, you know, in the CSP program in partnership with Cameron Brooks. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I took it on as like it was a full time job. You know, if I wasn't going to be at my act, my active duty job, this is what I was going to be doing. So I treated it very seriously. So my mornings I would work on, you know, rewriting interview questions or answers and, or maybe practicing them. Then I would be going back through the tabs to see if, you know, doing some more career, career research in tab four, or I would reread some books to find some things I want to bring up in interview. And then on the side of this, you know, Cameron Brooks gave me the freedom to, you know, I was on my last semester of my MBA while I was in this as well. Like that was time that I was staying up pulling all nighters for in the Marine Corps that now I could work into my work day. And really what that meant was I was gaining knowledge and retaining knowledge that would come up in those interviews. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the hardest things about military officers and making the move to corporate America, and this really kind of comes back to the point about starting early is you know, and sometimes chain, your chain of command, your boss is like, hey, go handle what you need to handle. But in many, many cases, it's like you're, you're in. Your mission, your men, they matter. Like you got to do your transition stuff on the side. And so I think what you're saying and what I'm hearing is even though you didn't need to do that, and quite frankly, like you said, you had friends who came through this program who didn't do it. It really gave you the opportunity to maximize the maximize your opportunity in the transition. And so let's talk a little bit about that. Well, actually, I did have another question I wanted to ask you. Um, first of all, how long, two questions, how long were you in the SkillBridge program with Cameron Brooks? Yeah. So, I mean, the program allows for up to 180 days. I took 40 and uh, mine was about 10 days prior to the conference. And then the other 30 included the conference and the follow-up interview process. Uh, my advice to others, if I, unfortunately, you know, with where, where my unit was in our deployment cycle and our maintenance cycle, inspection cycle, that was all I could really fit in. But my advice would be to put a little bit more days on the front end of that conference just to give you a little extra prep. But 40 was enough for me. I, I yeah. felt like I was very successful and, uh, you know, it worked out just fine. Yeah, I think what we, we encourage is, you know, take roughly 90 days-ish, something along those lines, maybe, maybe 120, but 90 to 120, where you're taking approximately four to six weeks, starting the skill bridge four to six weeks before the conference, so let's say two months before the conference, and then you're on skill bridge through the conference and the follow-up interview process, and the reason being, and we'll talk about the follow-up a little bit, but being in the skill bridge during the follow-up interview process allows you time to quickly prepare. What, you know, the follow-up interview is two, week, two weeks of like, hey, you got an interview tomorrow. Hey, you got an interview two days from now. You know, gives you a lot of freedom and flexibility to really manage the follow-up interview process. So let's not get ahead. Let's talk about this follow-up interview process when we get there. I want to kind of take your process in order. I guess the last thing I want to talk about before we talk about the conference, let's talk about your study group. Cameron Brooks, we, we, we um, coordinate study groups, but we don't mandate study groups. We don't enforce study groups. It's very much a, hey, let me set you up with this person who's coming up to the coming to the conference and th- that person's coming to the conference. What we have found, and I say this, I've been saying this lately, Quinn, to everybody, like when I'm doing a three or four person workshop a week or two before the conference, it is palpable the level of preparation that I see of people that are in a study group compared to people who are not in a study group. And in college, I didn't, I didn't like working. I was an engineering major. I didn't like working in my engineering teams, my design teams. I wanted to do it myself. Hey, do your work. I'll do my work. We'll come together. We'll share. We'll get to go. So I'm not naturally wired to be a, hey, let's meet a couple of times a week and let's practice. 
But I got to tell you, and I did, by the way, when I was in the camera program myself, it wasn't quite as formal as what we do now, but I was actually in a study group with two buddies that I went to college with who were coming to my conference. Um, but it is, there is a absolute level difference between those that are in a group or not. So tell us about your experience in a study group. Yeah, Pete, this was the defining factor for me. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, if you looked at my interview answers before I really got serious with the study group, and then you looked at what they were after when I got to the conference, they were completely different. That study group really is what, what prepped me. But, uh, you know, mine was about, we averaged about four people. We had some people come and go, but uh, we had a very tight four, you know, like a fire team size study group, which was perfect because we'd meet 45 minutes to an hour, a couple nights a week, virtually. You know, we could have met in person, but we, some of us were in different branches, stationed in different places, but few of us were here at Camp Lejeune. Uh, but we met and we just, we would target certain questions. And then as we got more advanced, we'd apply them to uh, sample job descriptions on the Cambridge website. And uh, you'd be alarmed. We were very constructively uh, critical of each other. You know, you'd get done with an answer you might've been proud of and someone say, Hey, that was okay. But here's where you got to tighten it up or fix it. And you needed to hear it. And I needed to hear right. it. And I'm thankful that I had such a good study group to help prep me. Fantastic. All right. So let's talk a little bit about the conference. So um, maybe this, what was your, what were your, Impressing, you know, with all the content that we put out, I know you probably had a pretty good idea of what to expect, but tell me, just tell us a little bit about your conference expectations. Yeah. Well, number one, it was, I just wanted to be matched with an opportunity that I could succeed at. And it's hard to trust that going in blind. You know, I, I kept wondering, like, after the conference, do I apply other places just to be safe? But I went back and re-listened to every single podcast from scratch about a month before the actual conference. And as you hear all these alumni talk about their experience, my, my confidence increased. And I knew it wasn't a matter of, are they going to? I knew Cameron Brooks was going to match me with great opportunities. And, and they absolutely held up their side of the bargain. Tell me, um, tell me about... I don't necessarily, I'm not looking for you to go through all your whole interview schedule and all the company's names, but tell me the flavor, the, the broad nature, if you will. And I'm not looking at your interview schedule right now, but tell me a little bit about your, you know, the, 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 the flavor of the types of interviews you had at the conference. Yeah, I went in with an open mind. So I had a little bit of everything minus engineering because it just wasn't my background. But, uh, you know, I was, I had a lot of team leadership operations types roles, some business analytics, you know, consulting, associate brand management, and a lot of sales that were split up between, you know, medical device companies and even, a, you know, a helicopter rescue equipment company. So yeah. there was a diverse group that I could really apply to. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and what did you learn, you know, about what you were ultimately looking for through that process? Because I think that's the, that's the real key to the broad search. It's like, well, I like, you know, sales, or I like team leadership, or I like business analysis, or I like engineering. And that certainly is an important component of this. But but there's so much learning that goes on through the process that perhaps you just won't get on a website, or you won't get on looking at Indeed or whatever. And so maybe tell me what you discovered about what you ultimately wanted to do through this process. Yeah, Pete, I mean, Cam Brooks will tell you not to rank your companies when you find out who you're interviewing right, with. You, right. you try your best not to. But internally, you're like, I think they're my, one of my top companies. What I found by keeping an open mind through the conference was that I flip-flopped completely from what I thought I was going to go into. Because you're learning so much about yourself. You're learning so much about these different industries that on paper, you might think, you know, I, I bet you that role does X. But when you sit down and you interview for 45 minutes with a company, it, you could fall in love with a company just in those 45 minutes. And, and that's exactly what happened with me. 
tell me, let me, let me pull on that thread a little bit. And so what were, you know, just to put some, some, some meat on the bone, so to speak, relative to what you said, like, what were some of the things that happened that, that had you thinking in different directions? What, tell me more about that. Yeah. So, you know, you know, to be frank, going into the conference, I thought I was going into a sales role, you know, and if you asked me why two years ago, that? yeah. why did you think that? I, you know, in logistics, I, I built so many, you know, I was selling logistics plans because I was a logistics officer with the infantry. So I never worked, you know, with the Marine Logistics Group. So I was usually one of one or one of a couple trying to sell a plan to people who didn't really understand logistics at the level we were trained to. Mm -hmm. So I just thought, what an easy translation. Um, but then, you know, like I said, I kept an open mind. I had so much to fall back on through my military experience that I, I was able to relate to every position that was put in front of me. And I don't think I would have known that uh, until I went to the conference and I started really getting the company briefings. But as soon as I could see myself in that position, you know, my heart went in different places. I cut you off a moment ago. You said two years ago, you were you going to say I was interested? What were you going to say then? Yeah. Yeah. If you asked me in 2020 where I, what I was going to I would have told you team leadership all the way. I was leading a 65 Marine platoon. If you asked me what my strongest skill set was, I would have told you it would have been team leadership. Um, and it might still be true that that might, that might be my strongest skill set. But uh, the, the truth is, like through this process, you discover leadership is in every single one of these positions and there's leadership at all different levels. And, you know, leading a 65 Marine platoon was great. Um, but I think if you asked any squad leader, if they want to trade positions with you, they'll tell you, no, sometimes those small unit leadership positions are really where, you know, where the money's at, where you really want to be. And yeah. I, I found that to be true for myself. So you, you started the program thinking, all right, team leadership, came to the conference thinking, all right, sales, left the conference thinking, all right, I'm going to be a marketer. <laughs> so what happened? It's, you know, like I said, Pete, it's an open mind thing. I, I, I took some sales companies to my top group and my, you know, when I was doing follow-up interviews, I wasn't set on marketing. I kept an open mind for everyone in my top group. And I really loved every, I took out of those six, I really saw myself at all six. Mm. Um, but what happened with those marketing was that, you know, I had a, my focus in my MBA was finance. I fell in love with the analysis um, and the strategy behind how you, how, what you do with numbers and how you read them. And I realized quickly that marketing was a strategy job. It wasn't, it wasn't, you know, what I pictured. And, you know, what's funny is in my MBA program, I got an A minus in marketing. It wasn't my strongest subject in my yeah. MBA. Uh, but once I realized that the role was was more than marketing, it's combining every single piece of, you know, my logistics background, my leadership background to some of my MBA concepts, I, I could see that that was where I was going to succeed. Okay. So tell us just because we did, I didn't ask you, who, who are you going to work for? What's your job title? And what are you, as far as you know, because you haven't started yet, what are you going to do? What are you responsible for? Yeah. So I, I took a job with uh, Campbell's Soup in their snack division. You know, they have, uh, you know, all different types of snacks like Pepperidge Farms, Goldfish Crackers, Snyder and Lance. So there, I don't know exactly what product line I'll be working on yet. But as an associate brand manager, I will kind of be the assistant to the brand manager. Not assistant's probably the wrong word. Think of like an right. XO. Right. So, and I, and if my understanding is, you know, I'm, I'm just going to be taking on op operations level uh, analysis roles for this product and really owning the product and the success of this product. I think when people hear the word analysis, they think, okay, you're going to be stuck in a dark room with a, with an uncovered fluorescent light in a computer and just don't come out of your hole until you give me what I need. Like that's obviously not the case. It's never the case, but tell me, tell, when you say analysis, tell us more about what you mean. 
Yeah, I mean, you, you can look at numbers all you want and, and reports all you want, but if you're just looking at stuff in a dark room, that, that's useless information. And I can tell at Campbell's, it's a team atmosphere. You're doing stuff with that information. And I, I would argue that as, as much analysis you're doing, you're, you're probably spending three or four times the you know, amount of your time focusing on how to improve the product. Improve the product, increase, and by improve the product, you mean what? Well, you know, you know, they, you got the four P's of, you know, that we study in marketing, but right. you, know, the, the act, you have the product itself, you know, you know, you talk size, dimension, function of the product, the price that you're selling the product, you know, where are you placing this, this product and how are you promoting this product? You right. can put all this together. I mean, you're owning every piece of this business, this, this minor element of Campbell's soup, uh, you know, from start to finish, if this thing fails, like they know who to point to. Because right. That's the job. And that's what's so exciting about it. Your impact is going to be seen in the profit margin every year, every quarter. Let's go. Let's talk a little bit about the conference. One more conference question or um, let's, you know, let, let us behind the curtain here a little bit. I think a lot of people have a perception that every interview at the conference is going to be, um, you know, an inquisition. Is that the right word? A murder board. You know, an interrogation, not an inquisition. That's the word I'm thinking of, but an interrogation, a murder board. And so give us a flavor, maybe, maybe think, you know, give us a, an amalgamation of all the interviews. Generally speaking, what were your interviews like? Every single one of them was conversational. I, I was, I was learning through my questions and they were learning about me and, and Cameron Brooks really prepared me, you know, how to, when sometimes you're asking more questions than they are. But Cameron Brooks will prepare you for how to insert, you know, the certain things about your background into those questions so that they understand just relating everything to it. Yeah. But I found that, you know, I was connecting the people in my interviews is really what I would describe it as. I was learning about my interviewers and about the company as a whole. And uh, I thought through that process, they really learned a lot about me. Sounds good. All right. So let's talk a little, about the, a little bit about the follow-up interview process. First off, how many interviews did you have at the career conference? Numerically, how many? 14. <laughs> 14 interviews. Okay. And then you said a moment ago that you basically, all the companies pursued you. So you eliminated all but six. So I guess my first question, how did you, how did you, you know, and we don't have to do this all day, but how did you decide which six, what were some of the criteria that you were using to determine which six you were going to pursue? It, it, a lot of it, Pete, was honestly, where did I see myself succeeding? And it was that was hard. I had a, I actually had a lot of trouble drawing that line. There were companies I said no to that I think I would have been very successful at. Uh, but ultimately, those top six were I connected with every single one of those interviewers. I connected with every single mission of those companies. You know, Campbell Soup, for example. You know, the, it's all about c connecting people through the food they love. You know, how could you not buy into a mission statement like that, especially when your CEO is a veteran himself, you know, a JMO himself? A lot of my top six had that. It was so easy to relate into what I'd be doing. Gotcha. Okay, so now let's talk a little bit about the follow-up interview process. It's not something we talk a lot about, but what was it like for you? It was fast. I thanked. I was so happy that I was in a SkillBridge program for that. My friends who were not, they were definitely stressing a little more than I was because we, we were texting with the, you know, our study group back and forth. When I had an interview scheduled, because I wasn't at work, it was, okay, I'll be there. My friends had to coordinate with their, you know, their bosses, their commander on their meeting schedule, make sure they could go. So it was a little more difficult, but it was quick. I was talking to comp sometimes two to three companies a day, and you're relating all that back to Cameron Brooks. I traveled to two for onsite. I went to Texas and New Jersey, and right now I'm stationed in North Carolina. 
So just being able to get on a plane, you know, you know, whenever you needed to, that, that flexibility was huge that I got from the Skillbridge program. But ultimately, you know, after I finished interviewing with everyone, I finished my last interview and I owed an answer to a company the next morning by 8 a.m. So it was very fast. And I was, you know, I had to be able to think all the way through the process. What was your lead time, average lead time between someone at Camberbroke saying, hey, Quentin, teed up, we've got an interview set up for you. And then when the interview occurred, generally, what was the, if you were going to give us an average, what was that? I, I was lucky enough that we finished the conference on a Tuesday evening and I knew when all my interviews were by Friday morning of that okay. same week. And they okay. started the following Monday. Okay. So and my interviews were Monday through Friday. And then the following Monday was my last interview. Okay. So that's a little bit quick, just for those listening, that's a little bit quick. It doesn't always work out where you, where, you know, the Friday of the, you know, finished conference on a Tuesday, as Quentin said, by Friday, you know, all of what you're doing. Companies are moving quicker than we've seen in the past, but you know, maybe it's not as clean as that, but I guess what we've seen is Quentin said the following week, he was engaged. And then that next Monday, what we're seeing is two full weeks after the conference, starting that Monday that you started on and taking it through, you know, two Fridays, basically, or two weeks from now, generally what we're seeing. And Pete, I think something that drove my interview schedule was I I got an, instead of getting a follow-up interview, one of my companies did a follow-up offer on the spot and they set the timeline for me. So the other companies had to really interview gotcha. me within that timeline. And I think that really drove the, the stress of getting that done. Yeah. And I think one more point about that for those listening, I, I think that um, it moves quicker. And I'm glad I asked you this question. I'm glad we're working through it. It moves quicker than, than, than you know, most people think. And, and I think that it, it, it probably feels this way because it's such a long period before the conference so everything's slow, 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 just waiting, 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 waiting. Conference, okay, it's starting to speed up. And so it's kind of real slow and then real fast. And I think the follow-up interview process probably occurs faster than what some people might be expecting. So, so I think that's really helpful in, in ultimately making or in talking through that to let people kind of behind the curtain. All right, so this is a question that I didn't ask you, but I am curious. Um, what was it like when you called the Campbells and said, I accept, you know, just give us a little bit of the, the, the feel and flavor of how that conversation went. I think that's fun. Well, this, this is really funny because I, they missed my call and I left a voicemail, but I, I can tell you, they called me right back and uh, they were so excited that I hopped on zoom with every, you know, we were talking face to face about the way forward. I could tell that as excited as I was, they were just as excited. And that feels really good. I think that's how you know you have the right fit. Um, and, and right away, you know, they were talking about when do you want to go up and visit? When do you want to house hunt? And, I, you know, it really set the, a clear path for me so that I knew what the next steps were. Gotcha. Speaking of house hunting, where are you in that process? I, uh, I was quick. So I, I am two weeks away from closing on a beautiful home and, uh, you know, 15 minutes from uptown Charlotte there. So I can't wait to move the family out there and we're expecting a second kid. So we're, we're in a great spot to raise. Oh man. Congratulations. All good. All exciting. All right. So two final questions, kind of land the plane questions, if you were number one. Um, and I'm not, you know, I didn't, I didn't feed Quentin, whatever he's about to say, he's going to say on his own accord. I didn't send, send him this answer, but, but really I, I, I want to know, 
from someone who had a very, very positive experience, been in the program two years, did the skill bridge, came to the conference, very successful, earned an offer, has closed on a house in two weeks, start your career, right? All the things that are that are happening in a positive way. You know, what would you say to military officers who are on the fence about getting out? I know you're not going to say, hey, you got to get out of the military, but what would you say? Yeah, you know, the truth is the military needs good leaders. And it was it was difficult for me to decide to get out. It really was. I felt like I was doing very well in logistics and for the Marine Corps. But at, at the same time, uh, you know, George Washington, you know, Cincinnati, you know, they stepped up when their country needed them. And when, as we pulled away from an active war, I didn't felt, feel as needed. I felt like I was volunteering. Um, so if you're considering getting out, I mean, really it comes down to what are your motivations to be in? If, you, if you're sticking around for the wrong reasons and only you can decide that, it's time to get out and just be successful somewhere else. And if the country ever calls again, you know, you can always pick the phone up. Right on. And then lastly, last question is, okay, so that great advice. Let's talk about Cameron Brooks. Cause, cause I'm, I'm in conversations most days with people who are trying to make a decision if this is the right partner for them. And I never put pressure on someone like, Hey, you got a partner, you got a partner. It, it only works. A partnership only works when there's a mutually mutually beneficial outcome, not when I trick you or do you trick me. And so what about someone who's thinking about camera? I feel like this whole podcast has been advice for someone who's thinking about camera books, but tell me what you came up with there. Like what kind of advice would you give for someone who's thinking about if they should or should not partner with our firm? I'm confident that you could be successful doing it on your own. But what I would say is it, it would be like me going to the field and leaving my weapon in the armory. Like, why would you not take the best tool that you could possibly have in, into one of the most stressful parts of your life here? Uh, Cameron Brooks set me up for success. There's no way I could have interviewed for the caliber position or the number of companies in that timeline on my own. Yeah. And, and to be honest with you, I would have fallen back on something I was comfortable in. You know, I worked in property management before I came in the Marine Corps. I'd probably be talking to you today as a property manager. And there's nothing wrong with that. I loved that career field, but I also had some great opportunities open right up before me because of Cameron Brooks. And if, if you have the opportunity to work with Cameron Brooks, you really need to talk to your family because this is something you just don't want to say no to. Go through the process. And then if you don't like it, go somewhere else. I appreciate that, Quentin. You know, I like, like I said, for those listening, I didn't, I didn't ask him. I mean, I, I knew you would say positive things because you've had an extremely positive experience. Um, and so uh, thank you. I appreciate that. And again, let me just reiterate for those who are listening, um, even though it may feel like this, like Quentin's results are not completely unique to Quentin. Like not, no offense, Quentin, but. No, like we, my we, friends had great, pro, or great yeah. conferences. Yeah, we, we see some very, we see a lot of consistent results through our program and process. And obviously you're a stellar example. Um, and I appreciate the time, energy, and effort you spent with us. So good luck. Good luck on the house. Good luck on the job. Good luck on the baby. Good luck on the move. You got a lot, lot of moving parts in your life right now, Quentin. But I certainly appreciate the time, energy, and effort you've taken to come and meet us and uh, share your experience. Thank you so much, Pete. And thank you to the rest of the Cameron Brooks team. It was truly a great partnership. All right, everyone. Thanks for grabbing this podcast and listening to my conversation with Quentin. Hopefully, the conversation about the conference and his process, as well as uh, the DOD skill bridge, was valuable to you, and you can use that in some of your preparation and some of your decision making. Hey, if you liked the content that you heard today, or if you like the podcast in general, would really appreciate you leaving a review 
certainly the positive reviews help other military officers looking for this type of content and information helps them to find us. So definitely appreciate a, a solid plug. Um, next episode, two weeks from now, my colleague Joel Junker interviews, interviews Dan Farrell. Dan is an alumnus of Cameron Brooks from 1999. He graduated, graduated from Notre Dame with a finance degree and, uh, and spent time in the Army before making the move to corporate America, started his career uh, as a brand manager at Kraft. And now he, he's many things. He has many titles, but he's the COO of a, uh, of a uh, marketing firm. And so listening to their conversation and getting more perspective is hopefully something I think you will find value in and get some enjoyment out of as well. And so stay tuned for that one two weeks from now. Um, if you want to know more about Camera Brooks, who we are, what we do, obviously you can go straight to our website. We've got tons of information, transition guides, blog, a lot of information that you can use in your decision-making process. All right, that's it for today. Until next time, make it a great day.